welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production, all the way to release and reception. It is the season four finale. Uh, we have a very special movie and a special guest. <laughs> um, Bridget, say hello. You've been on the show before. You did uh, Swingers, right? Yeah, and I think maybe one other as well. You did it, yeah, what was the other movie you did? Yeah, the much more forgettable one, uh, Desperate one, Hours. Yes, the house, and the, then there's some intruders. Oh, Kristen Stewart? Yeah. Oh, no, wait. No. Uh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Panic Rooms for a future season. Yeah. Ooh, count me in on that one. <laughs> oh, that was the Michael Tremino movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Desperate yeah, Hours yeah, with Mickey Rourke. Uh, Why was I thinking of Kristen Stewart? Did you guys watch a movie with Kristen Stewart in it, like a horror movie? Oh, the, the messenger crows. We yeah. did that for their podcast. Oh yeah, yes. okay. We did it on their podcast. Segway time, Bridget. Plug your podcast for us. Yeah, yeah. so we're actually uh, just about to launch season two of our podcast, which is called Screen Time. Uh, it's a family quarantine podcast, and our um, our our whatever our 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 sticking point. That's not a phrase. Uh, <laughs> I like it though. <laughs> it's our sticking point. <laughs> you should listen to it over other podcasts is that um uh so the first little 20 minute segment our kids age five and seven talk about a movie or a show or something they've seen recently that they really like um and then the second half my husband mark and i talk about movie show something that we've seen that we like so we're just kind of tracking media we consume during the I guess we're not really technically in a quarantine anymore, but we're still Delta Boogaloo, right? Yeah, <laughs> spiritual quarantine, I guess. I Huzzah! Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome. If you want to hear like one podcast where they talk about um, the Descendants, the Disney series, and then Ooh. also um, Mayor of East Town, for example, nice. this is the podcast for you. Yeah, what a mix! You should have done. Uh, uh-huh. You should have done the Descendants, the George Clooney movie. Yeah, uh, so good. Well, so we connected the two because it's um, both uh, movies or or series deal with inherited trauma oh, and, yeah. uh, <laughs> that's brilliant inherited that's brilliant. like like who, who are you going to yeah be, right the choices mm-hmm. you make to kind of break different cycles so for sure for <laughs> sure yep um what when's that coming out do, do you guys have a uh, estimated friday so friday would be right. um august 20th which is probably right. around when this show's coming out so cool. yeah yeah go so check out the new season of screen time double double creature thank you for having me of course. Yeah, I'm happy to, and, and, and your your husband, Mark, who's been on the show with us before, but Correct. cannot tonight, he's also on that show with you, along with your adorable children, Malcolm and Coco. Yes, and he can't be here tonight because 30 minutes into Toy Soldiers, he stood up, and in a very uncharacteristic rage, he just like slammed down his computer, and he said, I can't watch this garbage a minute longer, <sighs> and I haven't seen him, oh. I haven't seen him, oh. no, I'm kidding, that didn't, none of that happened. Oh, dang it. Yeah. You sold me. Should have, he's, he's putting yeah. our kids yeah. doing work. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Understandable. Wait, what um, are we watching? What's the movie? Yeah. So the movie is Toy Soldiers. <laughs> uh, it is the 30th anniversary of this film this year. Year of Our Lord 2021. Came out in 91. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Daniel Petrie Jr., who nobody knows. Um, but he is an Academy Award nominated screenwriter who got a chance as they are wont to do after they get an Academy Award to direct a feature film. Um, the movie he was nominated for Beverly Hills cop, <laughs> which I think is a great script. Would we agree with that? Oh yeah. yeah. Solid script. Yeah. Uh, and so he co-wrote this script with David Coop, who mm-hmm. is a native of uh, the region of Wisconsin that all of us are from. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, I don't like he to say gra- from, but sure. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, Bridget. Lived um, for a minute. <laughs> you lived for all, over a decade, right? Oh, no, not not a decade. Really? How long? Mm-hmm. Almost a decade? Um, seven years. Seven years, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he he graduated from uh, Kettle Marine, which is where one of our friends... No, Aaron I'm sorry, six graduated. years. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> try to distance yourself from Wisconsin as much as you can. Anyways, this is one of Dick Coop's earlier scripts. He went on to basically be one of Spielberg's main guys. He did Crystal Skull and War of the Worlds uh, much later. Um, but uh, it's based on a novel by William 
Pete Kennedy, uh, that is uh, basically a riff on Die Hard. I would argue it's probably the first riff on Die Hard post Die Hard. Um, when did Die Hard come out? Eighty-eight. So oh, okay, so it's like right after. Right, and so you know, it it seemed like a pretty sure shot. Um, you know, there were a number of teen heartthrobs because the right. film is Die Hard in a prep school and uh Mm -hmm. terrorists come take over because they're trying to look for the son of some guy that hurt one of their dads it doesn't matter the terrorists come to school so confused by that no 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 no. it's it's quite easy wait uh his father's in jail in america uh the the antagonist right yeah the antagonist the terrorist Mm -hmm. um uh, the federal judge who's presiding over his case, his son goes to this school. And so the uh, terrorist son was right, going to take right, him right. to school and, you know, do the whole, uh, that wouldn't even work. Let's be honest, but neither here nor there. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the setup's fantastic. It's a great sort of classic <laughs> setup. Uh, I mean, have you guys, the biggest question I have about this movie is because uh, it's Chris came, he's like, Oh, I want to do this movie. You're not going to like it or something. I was like, he said, toy soldiers. I was like, I literally just rewatched this right? Uh, with my good friend Pippa. And we were watching it. It just like came into our heads. We have to rewatch this movie now. Because I don't know if it's like this for you guys, but this film has a really weird place in my memory and like nostalgia. Like I grew up with watching this movie over and over again. Like my sister, she obviously watched it because of the, the young men in it. Uh, she taped it off like HBO back in the day. So we had like that really like, you know, sort of staticky copy of it that I would watch over and over again. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have the same? Did you guys watch this when it came out? I've never seen this before. This is uh, what? <laughs> I didn't like it. <laughs> Did you even know it existed in the nineties? I yes, I knew it existed. I knew like I'm I'm very familiar with the title, and I lump it in with like a if dead poet society, but machine yeah. guns. Um, but fark terrorists. <laughs> yeah, and like I I had dead poet society for the the teen boys that I wanted to ogle. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, and I'd rather ogle them too. learning about Yates than doing this so (laughs) (laughs) that's uh actually really great that you brought up that comparison i just got done listening to a way too long podcast with will wheaton one of the Mm -hmm. young uh male celebrities who plays one of the um main characters in the film uh he plays joey trotta and he went on this show uh where basically him and the host jonah ray who now uh, most people know for being the new host of mystery science theater um the name of the show is let me watch your movie with you. And so oh. they like, they just like talk while they watch the movie for, throughout oh. the whole thing. Will and, from Star Trek. I'm sorry. Right. Yes. So he, I mean, he, he does a lot of Star Trek Hopefully. talk, which is, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's a good, it's a, it's an interesting listen because uh, he, he basically said that him and Sean Astin, who's arguably the lead as well as the other kind of central group of actors, it kind of felt like there was Die Hard in 88 and then, post society in 89 i think maybe 90 yeah, 89 89 and then so like as soon as they all got together and started getting a feel for like what they were doing they're like oh they're just trying to put trying to mash these two things together uh-huh. they're just trying to capitalize off of dead poet society and die hard at the same time um now and I, we're just talking I, about leslie crusher though i'm i'm Google image searching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that that was that. I mean, it's interesting the mix of uh, main cast that they have on here. So, I'll first I'll answer your question, Dan. Um, uh, I was texting with our mutual friend Drax, who's yeah. been a guest on a show before, her Hollywood Insider correspondent. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because I was like, I was like, I have a very fond memory of watching this movie. I didn't like watch it over and over again. I watched it a couple times, but yeah. I was like, did I like? I couldn't quite put my finger on. It. I was like, did we watch like or rent Toy Soldiers back in like fifth grade or something? And uh, and he's like, maybe I you know fuzzy memory. But then also like as I was rewatching it later after I had texted him, there I just like suddenly had like a visceral flashback to like watching it with my brother and uh it's one of those movies where it's like you think it's gonna i don't know at least like when he first told me about it i was like oh this is like i mean i probably was it was probably around fifth grade like i was probably too young to be watching this movie because it's it's very violent for a movie starring teenage boys 
like uh like but that was all you know that happened every once in a while like the lost boys oh it's um, just such a weird tone right <laughs> like yeah but i had this visceral flashback of being like wow oh that that is a, a body getting machine gun to shreds mm-hmm. and <laughs> i am 12 <laughs> like not even 11 whatever um well, so that, that's sort of, yeah like the yeah there's also like the the phone sex stuff in the beginning i remember oh, that right. was very scandalous when i was younger yes yeah like, what is the, what is alcohol what is this what's that yeah that was fun that one of one of the only female <laughs> characters with any lines was the phone sex operator and we don't even see her no no so anyway <laughs> A <laughs> uh, fun fact: the actress that uh, plays that phone sex operator is uh, the wife of the Rocky director, um, and they both basically just like forget <laughs> the, all the people behind the scenes are men, of course, too. But essentially, according to uh, I think this was Keith Coogan, um, the the guy who plays Snuffy, he's also the kid in Adventures in Babysitting and Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on a different podcast called After Movie Diner, in which he talked about how they basically got to that scene and they realized that they forgot to cast the, yeah. the phone sex oh, operator. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they just basically called in a favor um, because, uh, you know, somebody knew somebody and oh. they just had her like record her lines in a van on the set real quick. Oh, wow. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So, and I mean, that's honestly, I, I'm interested. Uh, feel free to interject throughout bridget um <laughs> let's start though how did how did you interact with watching a movie about teenage boys taking on terrorists as an adult woman um i mean i have to be honest with you like i think i said to mark like seven different times like why did they pick this one <laughs> like i was trying to figure out like is this a there's usually a reason and um I I I I found it to be like a weird mix of like like almost kind of cringeworthy and then also boring. Yeah, that, and yeah, and yeah. I'm I don't mean to just be so I won't be so harsh like the whole time, but um it I didn't really it didn't hold my attention very well. And like action adventure is that what we would call this? Action? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like not the... my favorite genre. That's one of my lowest uh level genres for personal enjoyment um but but like coming no, con, con air is one of your favorite films correct correct con air because that is a but, perfectly executed <laughs> that feels different though huh i mean con like this feels so different like than this like so okay so i sh- i should say like i enjoy films that are part like of from every represented genre i would say more or less mm-hmm. um but then i also have genres where like even if it's a bad film, I like it. That's what horror is for me. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, and like totally. action adventure is like the, I don't like this genre. So if it's just doing the action adventure genre stuff, I'm not going to enjoy it at all because of that. But like you pointed out, Chris, there are movies within that genre that are just. But it, oh. I feel like it's a different genre okay. though. Con like, Air? Because like, like, you think like Con Air, uh, The mm-hmm. Rock, uh, I'll throw Chain Reaction in there for fun. Um <laughs> Like those were of a, a Congo. Those were of a very specific kind of action film. Let's say like 1994 and all. Sure. Well, and this I mean, one feels yeah. I don't know older. I mean, it is older, but it has like a really old style to it. Yeah, it's, it's a. Also it's a, a, a yes, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chris. No, I was just saying it's like an it's a 91 movie, mm-hmm. but they filmed it in 1990, and mm-hmm. they were still riffing off of the 80s. So it's like it feels like the last gasp of an 80s movie getting released in 91. Yeah, but but also like you bring up Die Hard and I really enjoy Die Hard. It's not among oh, right. my favorite movies, but I that's a great movie. Um and I think the thing about this is that it was like there was too much so the stuff I don't love about action adventure is when it's like prolonged fight scenes. This is why I've not gotten into a lot of superhero movies. Um mm-hmm. is I I feel like that it just and it's not even like I feel like I'm I'm too highbrow for that because like I, I love all of the Halloween movies, for example. Um, so I'm not too highbrow for anything, but it ju- like, it just loses my interest. So I felt like this movie was vacillating back and forth between like some coming of age stuff that I did find interesting. Um, and then these kind of like fight shooting scenes. Um, and I, I had a hard time like settling into either one of those. And so I, I kept, when I say like, 
getting bored. Like I kept, I actually had to rewind it a couple times, like go back um, <laughs> and, and like, or like skip back a couple um, minutes to see like, wait, how did we get to here? Sure. So, yeah. That, I think that's fair. I think that, um, especially on my rewatch, you know, grown up eyes for the first time. I don't know how often you've rewatched this since you were a kid, Dan. I'd be curious to know. But what for me anyways, being probably 20 plus years removed since I last saw it, like I was still like I had I probably had more fun uh, with it than you, Bridget. <laughs> but I I definitely had moments where I'm like, I like I just had to kind of say to myself, like, wait a second, I don't remember how we got here, but you know right. what? I don't, I don't care because, um, you know, Lewis Gossett Jr. is rolling up his sleeves and he's going to go fucking nail these guys. I kept having to go like, wait, how did they get out of that little pickle? Like, <laughs> right. like, like now we're, now he has a gun. How did he get a gun? Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Well, that- like the first 30 minutes though, I really enjoyed. Oh, it's yeah. great. The setup, like, the setup is great. And yeah. I didn't really like know what the movie was about. So I actually I read like the Wikipedia entry and I was like, wait, what? Like <laughs> Colombian drug. Lo-? Like, so, and like, <laughs> I, I was like, it was, yeah, it's, um, Mark I who's be- not here, but he kept, he kept saying while he was half watching it with me, uh, uh, but he kept saying, but the terrorist is so handsome. He looks like a Jonas brother. Um, <laughs> like, what? No, he doesn't. <laughs> Andrew Divoff with his acne scars. And- <laughs> yeah, he's, he's very good in it. I mean, he's very. He good. is. He is good, and I mean, he's he's a B movie star. Um, I I unfortunately did some googling, and he is now like a COVID hoax Trumper douchebag. Can't, can't win them all. Yeah, but um, yeah, like there's some there's some interesting tidbits about um. Uh, this actor, he's also in. Uh, he was in a number of Wes Craven movies, like mm-hmm. the Wish, the Wishmaster movies, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and he's very much known, or he was <laughs> when he was acting in the nineties, uh, as like the kind of guy that would not just play uh, a supervillain, but that like he would mm-hmm. he would wa- I mean, maybe maybe it's it's not so much interesting as abusive, but he would want. <laughs> <laughs> you would want the the actors in this case, you know, teenage boys to like literally be scared of him. Uh-huh. Um, so he wasn't like so much method, but like How the, there's, yeah, there, there's an, there's a, a, you know, kind of concerning story about Keith Coogan um, uh, from um, his interview on the same podcast. I mentioned earlier, the after movie diner where he says that uh, basically before the shoot began, they wanted the 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 producers and the director wanted the boys to like all like basically stay in that dormitory for a couple nights to like get to know each other and you know create a dynamic etc. And basically basically Keith Coogan was like, uh, no, I've I've got a room at the Days Inn. I I'd, I'd like to go and watch HBO right. uh, <laughs> because he's like a nineteen year old kid or whatever. Uh-huh. And uh, and so because he declined doing that when he uh-huh. came to set. Two days later, like basically Andrew Devoff like ambushed him, fake ambushed him and like scared the shit out of him. Wonderful. Uh, to make him feel like it would feel if you were actually getting held hostage. But just trying to get him to a better okay, place as an actor, you know. So also like uh, none of I didn't feel like any of the acting felt like how people who actually felt like they were being held hostage. Oh my gosh. So that was yeah. ineffective. I I, I don't know if I'd be throwing a frisbee every hour on the hour. The scenes <laughs> where the headmaster is like giving them a lesson. <laughs> and I, I, every time the headmaster spoke, I just kept thinking like, that is not a man who understands the seriousness of this situation right now. <laughs> like that this, <laughs> someone needs to like grab him and shake him and say, no, really. But uh, also like, wh- yeah, why are those kids like sitting there? <laughs> but all of that like I, so it's interesting because going back to the action adventure and like con air is and and die hard like at no point when you watch those movies i don't think i i would love to know what it's like to see those movies for the first time right because i've like movies you've seen over and over and over i can't remember right, what the first right. experience is but like at no point when i'm watching con air or die hard do i think like do i feel like oh maybe do i do i know that the outcome is not going to be good for our hero but at the same time, the, the, there are scenes in those movies that are suspenseful to me because I actually 
worry about like what's going to happen. And I feel like this movie didn't have any of that. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, like, there wasn't a lot of yeah. Where, where's the drama here? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll tell you, he like he, um, Daniel Petrie Jr., who wrote this and directed it, doesn't he kind of like remove the drama by having the son of the federal judge judge be escorted out of the school before the terrorists arrive? <laughs> right. Isn't that like defeating yeah. the entire purpose of the script? Like, I'm so confused. Like, why would you do that? Why would you just keep him there? I I mean they. <laughs> It's it definitely a contrivance, right, to get to like them being like, "Oh, these are also children of rich and powerful people." Yeah, but why? Like, like why need to do that? Right? Why not just you have know the son still there, and then like that's part of the drama. Like, what's gonna happen to the son? What's gonna happen yeah. to the father? There's no real reason to do that other than I guess I guess it's a tad more realistic be- to say that the you know I, I guess I don't know how competent. Okay. The yeah. FBI was in that time period, but like I'm here. That's not interesting, right? Exactly. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's not. But to your point, like Con Air is interesting, completely <laughs> not realistic. So is the rock for that matter. It's like um, yeah, it's over the top. It's interesting, and but like, and this is gonna. I, I'm gonna sound like a like a. This is gonna sound absurd, and you're gonna laugh, but the emotions acted in Con Air are real. Like, there's a lot of actors true. in that movie where like. <laughs> I believe you right now and I feel tense when I watch this scene. And like there were moments in this movie where I felt tense, even though on paper I should have felt a thousand times more tense because it's a bunch of children. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's very flat, isn't it? It's Mm -hmm. super flat. Yeah. And I wonder why that is or why that, I I don't know if that's like the acting or like the direction or what we think that is, but it does have, but don't 80s movies tend to be flatter, don't you think? In yeah. Like I mean, a, I... There's like a not a little movie called Fatal Attraction. Have you seen that one? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's like your run-of-the-mill 80s film. When you go back and watch them, the editing is very... Um, it's not very concise, right? The scenes tend to run really long. Uh, and there's not like a palpable... It's not like you're watching Uncut Gems. You know, it's like very sort of just lazily going through the the motions in the script and i think people back then there was a different expectations for a narrative right sure. you're going to see a movie it's like oh it's on it's a movie screen it's special it's something interesting and like that you would get away with and also everything was on film uh-huh. uh so i don't know i don't did you guys get that feeling from this there's just like that yeah. very almost tv movie quality to it um not the yes. look of it per se but like the the acting the writing and sort of the editing yeah. Right. And I think that I mean we we have to face facts. You're working with the the B-list teenage boys stars of that time period, right? Like mm-hmm. they they're still names at least the top top 2 like Will right. Wheaton and Sean Astin. But this is not um, your cast of Dead Poets Society. We're exactly, right? All of young stars. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. So, and I think that's a a big part of it. I also think, you know, I mean, I was still like, I was, like I said, I was very much enjoying almost every scene. And I think part of that is because it's, I mean, it's all about expectations. And I, I, I don't know. I I think another reason that I chose this movie is because I've been on a Lewis Gossett Jr. kick. Mm. Um, I don't know really what set it. Oh, I know what set it off because I watched. Uh, well i did watch that but um uh i watched a movie on criterion channel with him uh called skin game back from when he was younger in the in the early 70s it's like a it's a it's a it's a great uh like forgotten western and um i just like had forgot i don't think i'd like i haven't seen roots in several years and i don't think i ever actually watched the entirety of an officer and a gentleman but um he was just like he's he was he's magnetic in that movie so i was like i got to watch more louis gossett junior and so then i i watched iron eagle and um i watched the entirety of uh, officer and gentleman that time and um i had forgotten that like i used to like show some scenes of his in the original raisin in the sun he's fantastic in that yeah. um and so like it's he's i don't know i mean he's not in all of the movie but i think that like that's one of the things that really helps it stay together um is that you've got him as i mean i think sean astin's not great 
But I do think like the relationship between the dean and and maybe this is also me coming as a high school teacher, kind of seeing putting myself in there a bit. But I I their relationship is really is is actually I think kind of touching. Yeah, oh, I totally agree. That's the okay. like the spine of the movie. Yeah, is that narrative. yeah, but, and, but like. We needed more of that. Like, let him right, be left right. in there without the head mask. Like, I, yeah, I just feel like they're, yes, I agree, that relationship, but I feel like that relationship got, like, cut out of a lot of the movie. Yeah. And then, yeah, like, yeah. put back in at the end in a way that almost felt like, I don't know, I feel unintentional? Like, like, yeah. And like a typical movie about a boarding school, <laughs> you just have the plot of the young rebellious kid and the yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, fatherly yeah. uh schoolmaster and you just remove all the terrorist stuff it just becomes <laughs> like a, a decent drama <laughs> right, or something right. right like, like it wasn't like even school days or school times yeah yeah, school, mm-hmm. yeah exactly but the terrorist um, like it's an interesting like the more i think about the premise it's interesting right because it's like i mean it, like it sounds silly but it also could it could be really interesting not as an action movie but as a character development piece and i feel like they didn't do that right yeah i think yeah yeah i mean mean, so so another interesting thing uh that is going on right now that we try to touch on every time we do one of these anniversary episodes is you know what kind of uh legacy has it left um we're not doing the typical conception production release thing i hope that doesn't make you too anxious dan Uh, but going off we're going off script we're doing it totally off script for the finale um (laughs) but uh I guess uh, Sony has been trying now for a number of years to uh, reboot uh, Toy Soldiers, either as a new film or as a TV series um, at a uh, girls boarding school with Queen Latifah as the headmaster. (laughs) The question is, who would be the terrorists? Exactly. I don't know how they would figure it would have to be. The Taliban or is that out now? Oh, gosh. Can we not do that? I think there are Colombian drug lords. Yeah. No, I yeah. think FARC, no, the FARC did a peace deal now. So they're like part of the government, aren't they? Are they like kind of more legit? Right. I mean, that's another thing. I knew nothing about Colombia. And so I went on a Wikipedia rabbit hole. Well, I love, the, f- <laughs> I, I love the fact that in the novel, it takes place in Europe. And right. it's like a boarding school for Americans. And you know, it's Palestinians. And the director's like, yeah, we couldn't use Palestinians because they're using too much in movies. Right. It's <laughs> like, oh my God. Yeah. This is so bad. But at least he had the forethought to... To, to do that i don't know it's it, it i think it definitely i mean it was messy right like oh who is that american mercenary guy that was with them the whole the guy with the glasses See, I, didn't, I didn't pick up that he was american until i read like the plot summary i was like what he's american? <laughs> yeah. like, i'm so confused i thought he was just another colombian dude right so i think you're right bridget that like if the if they would have just like not worried about all that mm-hmm. like maybe you still have the big bad um especially because devoff did a good job mm-hmm. um being menacing and all that and to be an you know a solid antagonist but there's there is a lot of stuff that you could have cut and then just like reworked with gossett jr and like you were saying dan like not have the or like make one of the characters the actual son of the federal judge and Mm -hmm. um then you would have also freed up a lot of space to really focus on that uh you know headmaster and uh or not headmaster the dean and um the protagonist's relationship and also like i really liked the the dynamic between the 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 central group of five um yeah. it was disappointing of course but it's 91 um that like the the mexican-american and the black kid are like the two least developed of the five but um and also like i liked the the dynamic with like the younger kid whose dorm they get thrown into yogurt yeah. um, uh who unfortunately that that actor um i re- i learned uh passed away in the late 90s from a dui accident um but that like he actually formed it, i mean i think that thing where they had them stay in the dorms together before they started principal photography um worked um you know they they did like become fast friends as teenage boys pretty easily do when you you know put them in a room together uh they um uh actually renamed the character yogurt because the kid was like trying to eat a yogurt while they were in the van you know from the hotel to the set and it exploded all over him and so then they changed uh, the script to to reflect that like little little piece of their relationship which is kind of cool i think it i I think the i think that 
even though it's it's definitely a mess, uh, especially watching it with fresh eyes years later, um, there's definitely the relationship pieces that work. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like the director basically said. What did he say? Like he said, the group, the group of kids really gelled as a, as a group and supported each other. The adults surrounding them were very nurturing of their younger peers. Lou uh, was always very generous. Um, mm-hmm. And then he says, it's kind of interesting too. Here he talks about how. Um, back then like beverly hills 90210 isn't that didn't that come out later am i like when did Beverly 90210 was i think like 92 because he says this here and he's like 91 he says at the time i think the original beverly hills 90210 was on the air and it was emblematic of the fashion of casting high school characters from a pool of actors in their mid to late 20s the pilot was october 4 1990 so okay yeah So he didn't want to do that. So he actually cast people who are 17, 18 years old. And I think it does work. I mean, that part of it, I will say the camaraderie between them feels pretty authentic. Like, yeah. especially to that time. Like, But also like the, the like, so there's also like this thing about teenagers, right? Where like, do they really understand the seriousness when they live through that kind of trauma? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Like, you could almost like see that play out in a way that like also just like was not interesting in this movie yeah yeah i mean it's sort of like yeah i mean i don't do you think that like the what's interesting is like how they come to i guess you know overtake the terrorists uh and that whole scheme and like all that sort of stuff there's like that moment where uh you know the script he's this the uh, sean astin the lead billy right uh he's this um kind of prankster type and that ends up being, you know, how they essentially overtake the terrorists. Does that work? Right. Does no. that line, <laughs> does that so, logic work here? Or no? I, so it, the logic works in world. And one of the things that was like giving me like a bad taste as I watched this and made me try to figure out like, why, why is it like not just kind of boring, but also like making me angry? And it's like, well, the obvious answer is like, oh, there's no women at all in this movie, really. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, and you could like kind of reason that there right? is an um, angry mom at the press conference. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say that. That's the one woman I didn't remember. <laughs> the angry mom. About, uh, 30 some odd minutes in, there's a reporter's voice that you hear. Uh, yeah. um, and, and then there's the, the sex worker, the, the phone sex operator at the beginning. Yeah. So I think, and I, I hate to be one of those academic killjoys that reads into movies that people just enjoy from their childhood, but here we no, go. That, that's why we invited um, you on the cast. Oh, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, so, <laughs> like, there's, you could think, say, like, frame this movie as, like, a coming-of-age story. You could frame it as an action movie, but you could also frame it, I think, as this kind of toxic male wish-fulfillment coming-of-age, whereby, like, the the main character, he was, to me, he was the main character, the... um. Billy, John right? Aspen. Yeah. Um, like, what does he learn, though? Hmm. Does that make sense? So, <laughs> so the learns, movie starts with yeah, him. Does... No, no, like, it starts with the scene where there's this, like, uh, kind of stereotypical, and it's, like, and it's framed, I think, to be as funny, right? This, like, male bonding, like, like he's a, he's a bad kid, he's gotten thrown out of school, so he's a prankster, like you said, but he's not really a bad guy, right? Yeah. He's not really doing anything serious. He's not, like, hurting anyone. Uh, but also, there are, like, all these young men um listening in on this phone sex conversation and like they're like kind of making fun with it and i and and, like that as like the this is the first like the framework for these young men and their relationships and what they're going through in this movie and like at no point was there any kind of like correction from the teacher about the specific ways in which also like like you're setting up a relationship with women. Does that make yeah. sense? Well, it's not just the yeah. absence of women, but like when women are in the film, it's like this problematic thing framed as like a boys will be boys. Cause he eventually becomes the hero without really having to learn anything except that like, he's like uh, forged these friendships and these relationships. And those are important things for young people. Right. But also like, there's no kind of like lesson learning that I saw. Well, it's like yeah. the, the lesson that he learns, I feel like, is like breaking the rules is the right thing to do. <laughs> right. Is that it's, really what it yeah. comes across? Which is a very male. Yeah. If you think yes, it's a very yes, male yes. ideology. Right. 
where it's, it's like, it's, oh yeah, yeah, rules are for other people. Absolutely. Like I don't have to do that. Yeah. I can kind of skirt by them because I'm a dude. And right. get away <laughs> with it. Skirt by them, but like it's that quality in me that's going to let me like be the hero. Exactly. Here. Yeah. And yeah, like yeah, it, yeah. it almost like that wish fulfillment almost like. So part of when I was watching it too, it felt like the tone was kind of weird and mismatched, but it, because it's like, like you said, Chris, like it's incredibly violent. Yeah. Um, but it also almost seems like that piece is for a younger audience, almost the way Home Alone is written. Yeah, I was totally thinking. Like, where it's like, obviously this is absurd, right? But but right. I also feel like, and I don't want to just make like everything about toxic culture, because I have a seven-year-old son and a lot of his imaginative play is like kids being the heroes and like little boys, like kind of like defeating bad guys in a way that's like, I think developmentally appropriate and good and there's like a need fulfilled there right like as i mean Mm -hmm. i'm not a developmental psychologist but i think that that's like a thing that like boys and girls do and like a lot of kids do during play um but then at some point that like it it shifts and so now these are high schoolers right they're not little children um and this is not play this is like an actual scary hostage situation like several people die in this movie right like their classmates and one of their teachers Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, yeah. It, I mean, I I will say that it was a lower body count than I expected. Sure. It's three. It's three. Yeah. But yeah. But like, it's still <laughs> It's still incredibly traumatic to yeah. be playing frisbee well, so much. And yeah. then you have yeah. I mean, you have the moment of like when one of the students gets killed. Uh huh. And like, how, how, why does he get killed? Exactly. Okay. So like, so I wanted to I wanted to speak to that real quick. Um. <laughs> Going along lines of, you know, how masculinity is portrayed in the film, um, because it was like that was a very not like 90s masculine moment, just like the, you know, heroes, like one of the heroes sacrificing themselves. But I also I'm and maybe it's not intentional. Probably it's not <laughs> intentional. Everything's but, intentional, Chris. <laughs> OK, OK. But I I will say like I had one of my other like vis- visceral flashbacks. I had during the movie was like when they um pat like pass off the big like portfolio of drawings and blueprints like there was a moment where I like remember thinking as a kid like oh so like that's where part of the message came through for me as a young boy was like you know like gathering intelligence and organizing and being thorough like that was that's what saves the day not being a badass that grabs a machine gun and runs out into the quad sure sure so i did like i did like that 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 aspect of it Mm -hmm. but i do think it also gets very easily swept away by all the things you just mentioned bridget including another thing that was really telling i think early on in the film when the terrorists like line all the kids up and they're like trying to figure out who is related to who. And I thought for sure that we would at least be like one token, like, Oh, and your mother is the CEO of no, blah, no, but they, no. this is the it's just like straight up. Like yeah. who is your father? And it's like, <laughs> it's 1991. So like second wave feminism is strong in yeah. the white upper classes. Like you're absolutely yeah. right. Chris, there should have been like a handful of powerful women. Right. Yeah. Um, Shoulder pads. Something. I mean, the <laughs> mom did have, I don't know if she's wearing a sweater. I can't remember. Maybe a blazer. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I, I can't get past that. Like, uh, so thinking about like, if they were to reboot this, but make it an all girl school, like, how would that be perceived differently by audiences? And well, like, how many male characters would they still be able to write into? It, it, yeah. would, be, it would get the uh, the Ghostbusters treatment from right. you know incels right. and stuff like that. Well, do you guys remember there was a, a news story, entertainment news story, um, a few mm-hmm. years ago, where like some production company said they were going to make a gender rev- reversal of uh, Lord of the Rings. And like everybody mocked them mercilessly on the internet, saying basically like, if you had a bunch of girls trapped on an island, they would just help each other. Right. There wouldn't be that conflict. Uh-huh. Um, I yeah. don't know. Is, is yeah. that is is that a similar parallel to like if if they do go through with this uh, uh-huh. um, female focused toy soldiers? No, I mean I don't think a bunch of teenage girls would in any way be like wanting for conflict. <laughs> like even what you said earlier in this podcast, like put a bunch of teenage boys in a room together and they're fast friends. Like that is not my memory of middle school and high school. <laughs> like, my goodness. Like, uh, and, uh, I don't mean to like 
gender essentialize, although that's already the path we're going down. But like, I, I, I don't think there'd be like a conflict. I think it could be really interesting. I just worry that like, it would be get the treatment of like, like the Ghostbuster treatment, like you said, but so people would be upset, but also it would become like, it would become like a, like a specialist subgenre for like women. And I also don't know, like if they aim like action adventure at like women audiences. So the trick is always like, if we have something and we're casting mostly women and girls, like how do we make this appeal to a broad audience? And I hate asking that question. And I hope it's clear that this is not my question. This is like the marketing in our toxic culture question. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it could actually be pretty cool, but um, I don't know. I also think that they would be able to have like some, some lead males in that movie. And I think this movie could have had some lead females one way or another. Like no one in the FBI is a woman. (laughs) I I don't know. Unrealistic even back then. Like you can be a woman and work at an all boys school, right? Like the staff. I I hope, I hope so. I mean, uh, there couldn't be like a kid who had a strong relationship with his mother and like (laughs) like, negotiations or something, all all kinds of ways. Right. But it probably wasn't even on the radar and probably it's the kind of thing where if you bring it up, I feel like it gets shut down so fast. It's like, uh, it's an all boys prep school. What do you want? Like, end yeah. of question, right? Like, yeah. um, or end of discussion. But, but also, again, it's not just the all all men, but it's the the way like that that masculinity, like a, a toxic brand of masculinity, is kind of um, developed in what is like this weird like coming of age meets action adventure hero story that made well, me just feel very uncomfortable. Wh- Chris, what do we make of this Sean Astin quote that kind of fits into this? From the Daily Caller? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I apologize in advance for giving the Daily Caller a click so that I could get this quote. But it was just... I I feel this goes right into what we're talking about. It was was too tempting to turn down. Uh So yeah, Sean Astin told the Daily Caller in 2014, quote, they can't make that movie today, referring to Toy Soldiers, because everybody's so politically correct. You know, the NAACP would stop a great movie that would do such a great service to black people. You've got to really examine these things and see what's right and what's wrong. Politically correct is absolutely wrong because it inhibits the freedom of thought. I'm so lucky that they weren't so strong then and that the people that let things happen on the screen weren't so powerful then. I was very lucky. End quote. What? Who's they in that sentence? Who's he talking well, about? Why? The blood, the blood drinking uh, Dems, right? Oh, the QAnon? The QAnon cult? Why would it? Why did the movie do such a great service to black people? Yeah, what is that about? <laughs> what is that about? I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm so confused about everything. Like, what movie did he watch or be oh in? He's probably I mean, lost his mind. I mean, clearly yeah. he's lost his mind. He, I, I've been I've been searching him a little bit, and I, I so he's I didn't realize he's a Lord of the Wings. He's one of the Hobbits, maybe. Hey, Samwise, yeah, yeah, Sam, yeah. Sam Samwise, yeah. Samwise. I didn't realize that was an. I don't know. What it is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, he like several of the things I I, I browsed uh, said like famous Christian actor. Mm-hmm. Austin, oh yeah, so. he's done a lot of stuff. He was in The Strand. You guys check that out. Yeah, he was in Stranger yeah. Things. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did the okay. Yeah, second season. Here's a question though about this movie. I was looking at this because I'm always fascinated by how these movies were viewed back in the time they came out. Mm-hmm. Cinema mm-hmm. score of an A minus. That's good. Pretty darn good. So that's a survey of people like seven o'clock showing on Fridays and like back then probably like 10, 12 major cities in the US. So that's pretty high. So the people went on to go see it, liked it. Yeah. Well, uh, can you imagine how much testosterone was in that theater? Okay. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. I think we're missing something. (laughs) He's a Democrat, though. Sorry. He he backed uh, Hillary Clinton. Oh, interesting. Okay. And and John Kerry participated in campaign rallies. But now he's a Trumper, probably. In 2014. Well, I feel like there's a big like the there is nominee Joe Biden, so there is a significant uh, yeah segment of the of Gen X right that are are like very much like committed Dems, but they ha- are super against political correctness. Limousine whatever. Uh, I mean, let's re- like you can revise that a little to say there's a significant portion of white men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Consider themselves liberal or progressive and are still very committed to things that like serve the patriarchy and white supremacy like True. that's not how they see it right but i mean just like there are a significant number of white women who would consider themselves like hillary clinton supporters and are in many ways um implicated in oppression of people of color so anyway 
Sorry. That's one that's not one fun. thing about this movie that we're missing. <laughs> one thing about this movie that we're missing. My sister did not watch this movie because of the of the violence or action. Right. She watched it because of the heartthrobs. That's a huge, a huge reason why this film has such a nostalgic sure, um, sure. value to it. Uh-huh. Uh, and if the Google rating here is 87. <laughs> like, that's, that's incredibly huge. high. That's just random people going on the movie and, and clicking. I don't even think that like there's certainly, you know, dudes who look back on this movie and be like, oh, yeah, cool. It's fun. I honestly think it might be more of like the Gen X uh, ladies that like this movie. Hmm. You think because so? of that, like the, sort the of Wesley Crusher Tiger Crusher. Beat esque, yeah. like I, I think you're overestimating the number of women who had crushes on Wesley Crusher because they watched so much Star Trek. Oh, Will, <laughs> Will Wheaton quit Twitter because he kept getting so much sexual harassment. Huh. But really? I think, I mean, that was probably for men too. But yes. it, um, yeah, like uh, that was also one of the reasons he quit acting was because he he hated how over sexualized he was. Hmm. And they certainly do sexualize the young men in this. I mean, they're oh, like yeah. half naked. <laughs> the guy just often. randomly doing push or sit ups. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I was rewatching the ending this afternoon and I thought my kids were pretty occupied. And like Malcolm had just gotten home from a camp and came downstairs to give me a hug and chat at me. And I like paused it and he was like, What are you watching? Why are they in their underwear? And it just made me know like how many different scenes. And he's like, What's happening? Is this a grown-up movie or a kids movie? And I was like, I don't know, buddy. I don't like, know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I'm it's inappropriate for both. Watch it, watch it, but yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, amazing. Yeah. So a um, lot of lot of confused questions. And I was like, it's a grown-up movie. It's rated R. And he's like, why are there little boys in it? And I was like, which little boys? And it was a scene where there were like the younger kid. They were in a dorm room, and the younger right. kid, like sitting Yo- down. Younger and his roommate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, I need you to go back upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, speak. Speak. We're talking about how much like nostalgia people have for this, or you know that it. And we're talking as if this movie was a hit, but it wasn't a hit, right? No, Wait, it was not a hit. I don't think so. I mean, like, it did what? It's a, Another thing, too, about this movie that's kind of interesting that the director brings up, this is an independent film, technically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. Oh. This is not from a major studio. Uh, I think it was Island Pictures or something like that that put it mm-hmm. together. Uh, or Island World, I mean, financed the film. And then TriStar distributed it. But it was pretty much independent. And that's one of the reasons the director took the movie. He was really involved with the the Disney world. Uh, didn't want to do a movie for Disney and sort of found these guys and the financial backing to do it. And so he sort of dove in because of that freedom. Um, I don't think I see any of that on screen, though, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Like, it does kind of feel like a Warner Brothers type movie. You know what well, I mean? Well, it like, it, it's very much like B-movie quality, too, right? It is, yeah. It very much that, inspired that by, like, yeah, like Chuck Norris movies of the 80s and stuff. Like Delta Force, that's the one. Yeah, Missing in Action, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um well i mean why do we think it does have like an appeal though because it does i mean we can't argue that like it has this nostalgic appeal you know for me it's a very specific thing because it relates directly back to watching movies as a childhood in my childhood and sort of experiencing these for the first time like i don't think i ever saw someone get shot like that before on a movie (laughs) yeah yeah um or like i I didn't know what colombian terrorists were right well, you know, I think like, that's that. Like you were saying, like where does that show up on screen? That freedom. I I think that's it. It's it's very simple, and it's not like it's it's not. There's not nowhere else you really see it on the screen. But they, that's where you see. Like that's also my very visceral memory of like seeing this and being like, wow, this is overly violent. But there's young like boys that I can like empathize with as the main characters. Same thing with like your son walking in on. You watching it, Bridget, where it's like it probably immediately just like struck like a match and he's like, right, wait yeah. a second, machine guns plus me. Right. <laughs> I mean, like he's like um he's he's walked in on like me watching like I, I don't know how to adult movies, not porn. Um but like uh, <laughs> Like, like grown up, grown up TV shows or movies, and usually he's like not interested at all, right? So this one, he definitely was like mid talking to me and was like, "What? Oh, see? yeah, it got him booked. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Um, um, I, I have a question for you guys because we yeah. made our these 1991 lists. Yes, some of our favorite movies. I, I kind of the one thing that popped into my head with when going to look at the movies from 1991, mm-hmm. and this is this is sound crazy, and it is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, did 1991 suck? For oh, movies? yeah, yeah, it seems like it. <laughs> I mean, like, what was going? These movies are not great. 
like even the movies I find in my top 10, I was like, Terminator 2, sure. Like, absolute classic. Boys in the Hood, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like a five, solid five. Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> the weird ones, like People on the Stairs. Yeah, I love it. Um, Commitments, fine. Thelma and Louise. After that, like, I, I, movies, I think the movie business is in a really weird place at this time period. Yeah. Okay. Where, like, they were serving up a lot of gruel and slop because, like, I guess what postmodernism hadn't happened yet uh and so like they're trying to it was that weird transition between the 80s and 90s where pulp fiction didn't exist uh it was like between Die Hard and pulp fiction it was just like this gully i don't know what do you guys yeah, think it's, but it's i mean yes but it's also weird to say postmodernism didn't exist yet because i think about like when did the french new wave happened in like the 60s yeah right yeah I mean, was, but i mean like an american like filmmaker you know. like um uh like transition <laughs> Yeah, but I'd be like, what what movies do you think in the t- our top temps would be like postmodern? No, none. Th- that's true. My but whole I don't private know if it's probably. because it hasn't happened yet. I think it's like a particular era where there's actually some like going backwards in terms of like reaffirming like quote unquote traditional values and and things that seem to be like I think like the early nineties and late eighties were actually this time of a lot of like fear in like yeah. shifts of power happening. Um, and like as a result, some of these films that like play into uh, conservative little like um, fantasies or values. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that in, in kind of piggybacking off that, you have a real distinct not only gulf between quality in you know the top movies versus the rest of 1991, but also this really. I mean, I this was a very strange year also for the Oscars, right? Because Silence of the Lambs, like basically a genre movie, yeah. gets all the top awards. But called a thriller. It was called a thriller, not a horror right. movie. Right. right. Not a, a and not a yeah, not a, like a crime movie. Like not a it's and it's not a mystery. So like it's it, it that was a it was a, a turning point, I think, for a lot of um not just the general public, but also I think like film criticism where uh-huh. they started like engaging more seriously. Actually, you mentioned the like what's what's really postmodern, like, you know, Final Nightmare is yeah. is like inching oh, towards yeah. it with New Nightmare, which comes out what the next year? Super mm-hmm. postmodern. And and that yeah, that's like that's probably like one of the first hugely postmodern movies in America, anyways. Mm-hmm. But um uh yeah, I mean, also like, I mean, you and I both have "What About Bob" in our top ten, Bridget. Like yeah. that, that was just like a straight comedy, but it's still like very, strange. it still bangs because it's weird. <laughs> it's yeah. super weird. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, it's so it it's very and also like Beauty and the Beast. It was like the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah, there there's it's growing pains for sure. But I think even though there's a lot of bad movies that year, like there those top movies are are really like. T two Judgment Day, like I would, I'll never I just rewatch that. that. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's like a masterpiece. I don't think I've ever seen that. <gasps> what? I know. Okay, I wasn't allowed to. I mean, if you like Con Air, I yeah. Right. I am sending the. It's like Con Air on like speed, yeah. like the movie I, I'm speed. Sure, I would like it. <laughs> there are a lot um, of movies that I wasn't allowed to see as a child, and I like never saw them because I put them in my category of like, oh, this movie is way too intense. And usually they're not. It just was when I was like eight or nine or 10 or 11. Right. Um, but my dad let me see so much that the few movies that he like obviously lost the argument with my mom that I wasn't allowed to see in my imagination. Like, oh, that must be really bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For sure. All right. Final thoughts. What do what do we think? Um, let's start with our guest, Bridget. Um, will you ever in your foreseeable future? have an inclination to revisit toy soldiers slash do you think it deserves um revisiting by anybody else curious about the early movies of the early 90s um i I think it, it definitely deserves revisiting by anyone who has a nostalgic connection to this if for no other reason than i think i i always find it enjoyable and at least interesting to revisit those movies um and like i have movies from that era that like I've rewatched as an adult and I'm like, Oh, this is bad, but I'm still enjoying it. Right. So I, it's hard for me to say because I have no nostalgic connection really other than the general cast and aesthetic of 1991. Right. Which I, I still was there for that. Um, but I don't think I'll ever watch it again. And I've actually been 
playing over in my mind whether I would um because I have a I have a lot of movies that like I look forward to showing my kids some of which I've already done Home Alone is actually one of them the first time they were old enough to watch Home Alone I was it was a big moment for me um and like this is not even one that I think I would real like feel excited to like show Malcolm and Coco to be honest and I I I really again like I hate being such a killjoy about it and I don't think there's I think it's possible to watch a movie like this critically and also still find enjoyment out of it. And again, like I have those movies for myself, so it's not like I'm above that. Right. But um, mm-hmm. for me, like, I don't, I don't think this is even a movie that like I, I anticipate having like a 12 year old Malcolm and being like, let's watch toy soldiers together and talk. Uh, about definitely it. not. Um, I don't have a 12 year old. I probably wouldn't yeah. do that. either. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine doing it with my kids either, to be honest. Like you said, it was, um, like I, I almost like thought when they started doing the pranks at the beginning of the movie, okay. like, wait a second, is this more Home Alone than I remember? <laughs> but, but then they start getting machine gunned to shreds, and I'm like, okay, it's no, more, it's more commando. <laughs> like the, the so final thoughts, like there are moments in this movie where it, like I feel like it could have been something really interesting. It could have actually been a movie like about trauma response. Uh, right. I always like those kinds of movies. I know because I'm, I'm a lot of fun. But um, <laughs> <laughs> or like it could be a movie that is like an interesting coming of age, and like they really could have emphasized more like it's the working together and it's the building relationships. It's the realizing we're not alone. That's what helps us like get through this, right? But like the thing that like killed all those like, well, maybe this is going to be something else for me is the scene towards the end when it's the teacher whose name I can't remember who he has a good relationship with um and they are like splattered in blood uh <laughs> and like they have just like one and he's like am i still on pots and pan duty and and he says something like you think you're gonna get out of it that easy and they both i was half expecting a freeze frame absolutely, like this absolutely not like this is what a weird tone um yeah. so yeah, I it's just fine. I'm sure they had copious mental health counselors available. Yeah, right. I'm sure. I'm sure that as reading from Sean Aston's quote, seems like he's really dealt with any of the <laughs> <laughs> problematic uh, moments. No, but, no, I don't think. Yeah, he has. no, I think I think it it could be really interesting. There are parts that are pretty good, but like overall, the tone was too incoherent, and it ended up with something I think like more problematic than interesting. Yeah. fair. I think that's yeah. very fair. I mean, I think for me, it's like there's certainly the nostalgic trip to it without a doubt. That's a huge draw to rewatching it. Now that I have rewatched it, am I ever going to watch it again? Uh, maybe when I'm like 60, <laughs> like I'll go back and watch this. Um, but it, the thing about the, the sort of um, and kind of summarizing it and my feelings about it, like, is this a movie you should seek out and watch? Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, here's what i would say it's not a movie it's never going to be on like amc classic you know when amc used to play like classic movies all the time yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it would never be one of these movies right it would be on some like free channel on uh, pluto tv like the action channel <laughs> yeah and they would put this on here because it was super cheap to get uh-huh. um i would say that but i think it is one of those films that like if you if you were like a film scholar or something <laughs> it would absolutely be worth going into because there is there is a lot to pull out on. there's so many things wrong with it um that doesn't make it a great film that it's it's kind of fascinating in that way when you dissect it mm-hmm. it's like what the hell's going on here like this is just like a normal all-american film from 1991 that did okay uh that people from that era love for some reason but why yeah, you know, like it's one of those, I, those why questions. It's like, I, what's going on? I almost am hopeful that what Sean Astin says, political correctness that ruined everything. That like, if like uh, Zennials, is that the the if, like if a group of like high school kids in my neighborhood watched this now, I feel like they would be like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, I I okay. So I'm I'm going to of course be completely on the other side of this and say everyone should watch this movie. <laughs> and, but I will say like I'm okay if you turn it off after my favorite scene, which is pretty early on in the film and was I found out in our, my research was 
one of the only improvised moments in the film. And uh, that scene would be the one where uh, after Sean Astin and his friends have pulled the ultimate prank, um, which I don't understand, but they've brought all the headmaster's uh, office furniture (laughs) out onto the quad. Here's the improvised moment. Sean Astin saw a crew member eating a banana and said, somebody give me a banana. And so he <laughs> he is very like laboriously eating this banana while Louis Gossett Jr. chews him out. And then he improvised all, not only eating the banana, but also tossing it into the trash can in front of him. And then Louis Gossett Jr., Academy Award winner, comes back at him with one of my favorite line deliveries. I watched it like five times in a row, just cackling it by myself in the basement. Pick up that banana <laughs> and i just i uh, i may i don't know what's wrong with me i probably did not get enough sleep but i adore that scene and that moment and to find out it was improvised on the spot was really a um a special kind of and i think it goes back to just like it's a, a dude's rock like that's a yeah. it's a dude's rock movie and i'm yeah. I'm, I'm on board for it yeah, and it's it. important that we have those movies. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, finally. <laughs> oh, man. When are, when are white men going to just be able to celebrate themselves? <laughs> uh, I'm trying what to think a finale. movie that does the hot tub yeah. time machine. <laughs> but, yeah, this is my hot tub time machine, Dan. This I think. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, season four is over. Uh, season five? I don't know. Whenever we feel like it. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be a shit show going back. I'm a high school teacher going back to work in maybe three weeks. Maybe it'll be online again. I don't know. Really? Um, (laughs) Who knows? No one knows. Who knows, knows, man? We don't Uh, get paid to do this, so we're going to come back whenever we want to and feel like it. Yeah. Um, It's been a blast. Bridget, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I hope we'll have you back again. We'll have you on screen time sometime very soon. Please do. Please do. All right. All right, that's all she wrote. Thanks for listening. This has been Film Traits. Mm-hmm.